It's salty, it's got bite, and it's better than a two-martini lunch. Broadcasting live from the WGST studios in Atlanta, it's the Dana Barrett Show. And it starts right now. If you had to uh, think about which side, Republican or Democrat, uh, would sort of have a bigger fight on their hands right now, you would probably say Democrat, right? Because there's still a whole bunch of people in the Democratic race. But actually, the president right now on Twitter is duking it out with everybody from the Fed to Puerto Rico to uh, Fox News. So maybe the president actually has more fighting on on his side, on the Republican side, than the Dems do. We're going to get to all of those stories uh, a little bit later in the show, but I do want to start with the uh, upcoming presidential uh, debate happening on the Democratic side. That'll be in uh, just shortly in September. And uh, we now sort of know who's qualified and we can start to evaluate what's going to happen there. Joining us on the phone uh, to do just that is NBC News radio correspondent Michael Bauer. Michael. Uh, Dana, Dana, we had two people that were sitting out on the fringe this morning, fingers crossed, legs crossed, toes crossed, everything crossed, (laughs) hoping to get in on the stage uh, in Houston on September 12th. And then if they were able, even if one of them was able, then you'd have to break this up and have two nights worth of debates. But it looks like right now, unless something groundbreaking is happening that we don't know about unless something outside the USA Today, Suffolk University, or Quinnipiac University polls that are considered by the DNC to be legitimate polls. Anything that comes out here in the next couple of hours, you've only got 10. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. Yes, because I had the list here in front of me of the Democratic national uh, contenders shooting for a spot on stage in Houston. You see, you have your Bidens, your Bookers, you got Buttigieg, you got Castro, Kamala Harris, Kobachar, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth with Warren and Andrew Yang. To be fair, I did that with my eyes closed. That, I'm impressed, I, actually, that you just you I, just like ran that right off, like it was no thing. I have the names tattooed inside my eyelids. That's just my own personal thing. But that's how I'm able to get through that. Now there were reports. Tom Steyer was hoping to get in here. The liberal billionaire was hoping to get in on there. Now he only needed one more poll at two percent to get in. Right. And then you had, uh, in addition to to him, you also had Tulsi Gabbard waiting for two polls and to see if she could get in. So we had those two polls coming out today that would have been her shot when she didn't get that first poll for the USA today you just said okay well looks like she's not going to make it to the stage in september and then the second poll came out from quinnipiac and steyer didn't get either of them so he wasn't able to get in on the list either so we're just going to have the 10 qualified instead of 11 so it'll be one night instead of two nights in houston i mean that's a little bit of a relief i think yeah um, on the other hand having 10 people again on stage you know, I almost wish they would break it up because they're still only going to get, you know, five seconds each to talk and then they're just going to talk over each other and it's going to be super annoying, I'm guessing. There is that part of that. Like, I was kind of hoping, well, if Steyer made it in and you get to see everybody kind of pick at him and ask some questions to him, but maybe everybody gets a little bit longer time if you have two nights. Maybe you get a chance to really answer some legitimate questions because otherwise it really does seem like it's this, you know, peck real quick to get in on a topic and everybody chime in for five seconds and then move on to the next thing and you never really get anything done. You know what I think they should do, uh, Michael? I think they should do it like an episode of Family Feud where, like, they break up the the far left and the moderates, you know, and then they each, like, have to, like, take a turn, you know, kind of going against each other. And, you know, I prefer I think I prefer the fear factor element and let them eat like spiders or other things. And whoever can eat the most, they get more time. Like if for each spider, you get an additional 30 seconds and then you get to have your 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 say as to what you want to talk about. You know, I think we should do a survey on which game show would best highlight the Democratic candidates. Yes. 
That's, I agree. That's a poll I could get behind right there. I'm with you on that one, yes. <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, look, obviously we are talking primarily these days about uh, Biden, Sanders, and Warren um, mm-hmm. as the top three contenders. Do we think that this is going to be a real showdown between the three of them? Well, it's the first time that you're going to see in this series of debates the three of them on the same stage together because they've been separated so far from that. And so now you're going to be able to see them all on the same stage together, and it's going to be interesting to see how that's going to work out. Plus, you've got to add into the fact, too, that when you look at this list of the ten that are out there, you're also going to have you know, the Kamala Harris and Cory Booker with Joe Biden on stage. And we know how that kind of went, and now there's not going to be any Tulsi Gabbard to kind of run interference on any level. So the, the infighting portion of this, the attacking, is going to be interesting to see how that goes and really honestly to see if they're ready to move past that and kind of just work out on some level uh, what their plans are going forward. I mean, Elizabeth Warren seemingly is putting out like 15 different plans every single day. So it would seem to me you want to get that out there and talk about that. And, and, and fresh off of these polls today from Quinnipiac, where you've got the top five that if there was an election today, at least right now, according to that poll, would beat Donald Trump. I think that highlights a need to really get to the bottom of what they're talking about. So these debates where you You've got 10 people in five seconds. I think that's going to have to start wrapping up very soon if you want to get to the bottom of who the legitimate contenders are going to be. Yeah, I think you're very right on that. I mean, the fact that five, uh, four or five of them, right, uh, were uh, listed as being able to beat Trump, it's like mm-hmm. we just need to sort of hear from those four or five at this point, and then let's just, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I mean, uh, listen, I, I love what 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 Andrew Yang has done for the better part of the last couple of weeks on social media and, and how we've kind of seen him and viewed him, so I'm interested in, again, getting a chance to hear more about him. I don't know if we'll get that based upon the format, but I'm interested in hearing more about him. There are some that I just don't think we need to see up there. I'm, I'm fine if they weren't there, but if you've got your Biden, you've got your Buttigieg, you've got your Warren and Sanders and Kamala Harris right now, those five could beat Donald Trump today, according to that Quinnipiac poll. I'm fine with just hearing from those five. Yeah, I sort of am, too. I I do like Amy Klobuchar because for me, she's sort of one of the only other moderates, uh, you know, in the race. Um, but she needs to have a big moment or it's kind of done, I think. Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. She, I, and I think she needs to make that big moment for herself. I don't think, you know, with any of these, what we've seen certainly from these debates are those moments aren't going to fall in your lap. Nope. So you're going to have to make them. And I think that's got to be what it takes for her going into these debates in September. Yeah. I mean, at least, you know, where Cory Booker's not really sort of uh, getting the numbers he would like, I don't think. But he does mm-hmm. kind of keep popping up in the news. He is sort of yeah. having moments here and there. So he still has some hope, I think, uh, of of being a contender. But I don't know some of the others that are still in, and I do. I'm once again today. I'm doing the 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 shrug emoticon. That's I'm in the, I'm in shrug mode. <laughs> well, what's interesting too, I'm going to add a little extra shrug to that, an additional shoulder with it is I don't know why the DNC is at least at this point keeping things the exact same for these October debates that they're using for the September. It would seem to me you'd want to up the ante a little bit more. You need to get more donations, or you need to have more polling, or something to indicate that you are a stronger candidate than what's happened in these September debates, because legitimately then that opens the door for a Tulsi Gabbard or even technically a Marianne Williamson who uh, was just, she was missing three of the polls at 2% or higher to be able to make it to the debate stage. It technically opens the door for them to have the next month plus to get in on the October debates because at least right now the DNC is keeping the exact same qualifications necessary to get onto the October stage. So we could only have 10 debaters going into September, but then that could open up again and go to two nights come October. 
Yeah, that's going to be really bizarre. So I think, you know, before I let you go, Michael, that brings up an interesting question. You know, with the ones that didn't make this stage in September, Mm -hmm. but who are still in the race, because we've had a few dropouts already. Mm -hmm. um, Are these remaining people going to just continue on and try to get into the October debates? Are they going to drop out? You know what are we what are we forecasting here in terms of the it's other however many? It, I think it really depends on perception because if you look at somebody like Kirsten Gillibrand, who earlier this week was talking about how she would take a vice presidential role if offered to her, that kind of indicated well maybe she's thinking that there might be an end to her running for president. But when you also take a look at the fact that Tom Steyer spent twelve million dollars since entering into July and will be watching the debates from home, and Kirsten Gillibrand spent two million dollars since the last debate and will be watching these debates from home, it almost makes you go well maybe there is. Kind of a chance in there someplace. So it all depends on your perception and where that reflection is going to be. I think there are some people, Bill de Blasio, I'm looking at you, who will be making <laughs> the announcement that they've got to be getting out of here soon. There's going to be enough reflection there. For the rest of them, I don't know how close they think they can get in the remaining month to get on the stage in October, but that's an awful lot of momentum to lose if you're not on the stage in September to try to make up by the time October rolls around. Yeah, because I already forget half of their names. Like, not going to exactly. lie. Like, when you said Bill de Blasio, I was like, oh, yeah, he's running. Oh, That guy's still in it. I forgot about him. Totally forgot. Listen, Michael Bauer, always great to get your insight on all of this. Uh, We appreciate it. And obviously, we will continue to follow this story. So, yeah, I think actually that um, given the current Twitter war the president is having with Fox News and thinking about the upcoming uh, presidential debates on CNN that Tom Steyer did not qualify for, that maybe Tom Steyer, the billionaire, should just buy Fox News. <laughs> I feel like that would be a really good solution for him. And then he could hold his own debate. He could have, like, everyone challenge Tom Steyer and, like, have them come on one by one and and challenge him. And that could just be Fox News 24-7, like Tom Steyer, the Tom Steyer show. I would support that. I don't know how I would support it. I would... I would subscribe on my cable to that, you know. Um, obviously, I'm joking. But I do think it is semi-ridiculous that the president... Mm, let me take that back. I think it is utterly ridiculous that the president has chosen to go on Twitter and suggest that we, we, his, him and his base, him and his followers should find another news network because Fox has now failed him and they're just totally have gone to the left and they might as well just go all the way there and goodbye. And he, they need to find a air quote, different news outlet. I mean, that's, I mean, that's biting the hand that feeds you, man. You know what I'm saying? That is like, that is a big choice. Cause a lot of the people have been watching Fox news for long before Trump And they're going to continue watching Fox News for long after Trump. And they may, I'm just saying, may be more loyal to, say, Sean Hannity than Donald Trump. And Sean Hannity's still on Fox News. They may, just saying may, feel more loyalty to Tucker Carlson than Donald Trump. Or Laura Ingram or any of them, right? I'm interested to see what those those folks have to say about this. So far, it seems like mum's the word, right? Right. We're not hearing much of a response. From the Fox, from the Fox Newsies, so uh, yeah, going to be really interesting. And of course, we're also in the midst, as I mentioned at the top of uh, the show. Uh, you know, we're in the midst of this, uh, you know, huge hurricane headed for uh, Puerto Rico, and you know, it changed directions a little bit. They thought it was going to hit from one side of the island uh, when they went to sleep last night. When they woke up this morning, it looks like it's still going to hit, but from a whole different side. 
Um, and so a lot of, you know, struggle there, a lot of concern there. There's people in Puerto Rico who still are living with, you know, blue tarp roofs. Um, whose whose infrastructure isn't really going to withstand another big storm. So there's a lot of concern. And in the middle of all of that, you have the president picking fights with them on Twitter. It, you know, it's like there's a time and there's not. A, well, let me back up a second. There's never a time. <laughs> but to pick a fight with one of your states like or, you know, one of your territories, that just doesn't make sense. But OK, fine. Literally fighting yourself. You're literally fighting yourself. It's like you've just decided you don't like your big toe. And so you're just going to smash it with your other foot. Like over and or a hammer, maybe over and over again. Sorry, Big Toe. You're I'm not a fan anymore. Smash, 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 and more smashing. Like, and then you're like, well, I numbed it first. I don't feel anything. Whatever. I'll just cut it off and throw it away. Who needs the Big Toe? Right. So weird. Um, but you know, for for him to criticize Puerto Rico and to make, by the way, like false slash way exaggerated claims about how much money has been spent on a relief effort for Puerto Rico in the midst of a storm on its way is like, I don't know. It's like, you know, telling a bride she's fat right after she got abandoned at the altar. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't do that. Like, well, first of all, you never do it. But again, you just don't do it. Like, that's the worst moment to do it. Right. So, I don't know. The president is just on a tear right now. Nobody's making him happy. I don't know what's going on. He has a bee in his bonnet. Maybe he didn't get enough sleep last night. I don't know. But he is uh, just picking on everybody uh, today. And it's, it's. I just somehow feel like it's only going to get worse. I don't know why, but that's how I feel. Uh, we shall see. All right. On that note, we are going to move on. We have been focused on diversity and inclusion all month long. We're going to continue that today. One of our faves is going to be joining us on the phone next. That's Natalie Molina Nino. She is the author of Leapfrog. She is a Latina and an advocate for women and for women of color. And we love her. So we're looking forward to that conversation. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's Women on Wednesday on The Dana Barrett Show. It is Women on Wednesday. It is The Dana Barrett Show. And we are joined on the phone right now with one of my, or by one of my favorite regular guests, Natalie Molina Nino on the phone. She is an investor, an entrepreneur, author of the book Leapfrog, uh, and an advocate for women and women of color and just, you know, people in general. Natalie, how are you? Hi, I'm doing really well. I've missed you. I know. It's great to talk to you. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you next time you're uh, in Atlanta. But um, I'm glad you had a moment to get on the phone with us today. We on the show have been uh, focusing on diversity and inclusion all month long. And so mm-hmm. it's like super appropriate that we've got you on now because I know you've been doing some posting on the topic of late. I've seen a couple of your <laughs> posts. Um, so just at, at the very highest level, what do those two terms even mean to you? Uh, interesting. Uh, I guess at the very, very high level, it's the idea. I don't like the word diversity. Can I just say that? You, you, of course. I, That's why I, I ask you these questions, I don't lady. Like it. <laughs> Tell me why. Okay. So the reason I don't like it is because, you know, Latinx community, for example, make up, what, over 17% of the U.S. population. And when you have something like point, I don't know, I think it's less than 3%, for example, of venture capital going to Latinx entrepreneurs, no one's asking anybody to do anybody's special favors. They're asking them to have 
the business world reflect reality. So when I think of diversity, I oftentimes just want to replace it with the word reality. We're, we're wanting every aspect of society from business to banking to politics to everything else to reflect reality. Right now, we are in a strange parallel universe where a tiny segment of the population seem to control everything, and that's ridiculous. So I, that's that's my main beef. No, I hear what you're saying, and I think there is um, sort of a um – unfortunate sort of, I don't want to call it a trend, but I, I, I do see people sort of looking at almost more tokenism than real equality, if that makes sense. And I think the yeah, more diversity well, can be an excuse for press, that. You know, the, the things that you see covered in the press are often the first woman president or the first, you know, black CEO or the first, first, first of everything. And, right. you know, I, I mentioned, I think maybe you saw this post. I said the other day, like, don't, it's great to celebrate first. But don't call it progress until you have 30% of something um, because, you know, we've seen those tokens happen time and again, and they don't tend – I mean, sometimes progress happens and you see things continue, and that's the first of really good signs. But sometimes it's a token and it's nothing more, and we go right back to where we started. Yeah, and I think actually you make a really good point, and you know you're you're an excellent starter of movements. So maybe we just need to make it a, a like the thirty, like call me when you've got thirty percent movement, because it, <laughs> you know because I think you're right about that. For the longest time, we keep celebrating the one CEO of X Y Z company that is you know black or or Latinx or a woman or transgender or whatever, um, and, and then it's just that one, and then the celebration's over and everybody goes back to being exactly how they were before. So yeah. uh, you know I. I like that. And I think, but it's interesting too, that you talked about reality and the reflection uh, of, you know, society sort of in the workplace, whether it's in investment or, you know, in the boardroom or whatever, because 30, 30% still not it for women. Right. I mean, like, not even close. We're getting more than 50% of the college degrees and PS, we still represent more than 50% of the population. So anything less than 50 requires some questions. And yeah. Really good answers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, I want to take a little uh, bunny trail with you, Natalie, right now, because we haven't caught up on what you're working on these days. So can you share a little bit about what's on your plate right now? Yeah, well, I don't even know where to begin, but I, I will say that one of the reasons I am excited about being in Atlanta soon is that I'll be speaking alongside what seems like 20 of my friends, uh, some of the most amazing people in the world who are all gathered, including even uh, Michael Blake, the DNC vice chair who's currently running for Congress, uh, Tolu Olubunmi, I don't know if you know her, but she was one of the dreamers who was on the cover of Time magazine when DACA was you know, being discussed back in the day. I mean, just a whole list of amazing people who are all descending on Atlanta for the Smart City Expo um, Atlanta conference. Um, awesome. And it's basically just a bunch of really smart people, um, including politicians, including business people, investors like me, um, that are sitting around having deep conversations, um, you know, obviously in an amazing city like Atlanta, about the future of cities, about the environment, about the future of how we grow societies, especially starting with the urban landscape. So um, that's what's sort of first on the horizon. Um, and then beyond that, I continue to do investing. Today, by the way, happens to be, I, I'm not surprised because you've got some special juju going on, but <laughs> it happens to be the one-year anniversary of my book. Uh, when you and I first met, I had just published it. I know. I saw that online also. It feels like it was just the other day, but wow, yeah. a whole year. And, you know, congratulations on all the success around the book. I can't believe it's been a year. So I have to ask the obvious question that I ask all authors. When's the next book, Natalie? <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, uh, I don't know. That's kind of like, uh, people say it's a little bit like having a baby. Like you're genetically engineered to forget just how hard it was so that yeah. you can do it again. That's right. But I don't know that enough time has passed. I'm busy being excited about the fact that Stanford is actually using it um, as part of their curriculum in their entrepreneurship classes. And then I found out yesterday that uh, Georgia State University has a new program that's also using the book. It was so amazing to see a class filled with a bunch of young women who are all learning to be entrepreneurs with the book. That is phenomenal. Huge congratulations on that. That's amazing. You know, so many authors, I mean, are there's a lot of great authors out there, but a lot of times you write a book and it's, you know, it's making some noise for a minute. You know what I mean? And you're still making noise a year later and schools are picking it up now. That says a lot. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, and I think it's just because we really, this is going back to your theme on diversity and inclusion. We rarely see, even though the majority of entrepreneurs are women. And even though eight out of every 10 uh, women-led businesses started by a woman of color, we just don't see ourselves on the cover of those business magazines. We're not the case studies at Harvard Business School. We're not the reference point for the culture around business. And so I think part of the reason it's probably having some longevity is just that we don't see ourselves. And, you know, I think we need to do more of that. And that's kind of why I love this topic, right? We just need, especially the young up-and-coming entrepreneurs, to be able to look up and look and see role models that look and sound like them and have had experiences like theirs. Yeah, I, I heartily agree. And I think, you know, there's an interesting um, sort of two-sided, um, you know, war going on here, if you will, or struggle going on here. There's sort of the big systemic issue. How do you get companies to, um, you know, change policies and 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 change culture to, to welcome more people of color, more women, minorities, et cetera. And then there's the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You figure it out and and you do it side. Right. And I love the fact that you sort of are tackling both because the book is sort of for the individual to say, look, here's the way you can get yourself to the front of the line. And by the way, it's the way everybody, you know, all the white guys that have been at the front of the line have been doing it all along. Um, and then you're also kind of on LinkedIn saying, hey, companies, listen up. You know, you're talking, you're speaking out in the world saying, you know, hey, here's the systemic problem. How are you going to fix it? Right. It's literally a failure of of any CEO's fiduciary responsibility to their company. They are paid to maximize returns to shareholders. And whether you're talking about investments, for example, there was a study recently that came out of Stanford and my buddies over at Illumin Capital. And it basically says that one, I believe, point nine, something like that, something ridiculous, but less than 2% of all fund managers, the people that manage our retirement, the people that manage our endowments, the people that are managing our future, less than 2% of them are women or people of color. And it's kind of like, you know, the data shows really clearly that there's being money left on the table. The people like Larry Fink, who likes to write letters about how, you know, investment companies should do good in the world. Well, Larry manages trillions of dollars. He could single-handedly move the dial on this, but instead they're busy writing letters and not actually doing anything. Less than 2% of our money is managed by people who look like us. No way. That's not cool. Yeah, totally. And you you also said before I let you go... Um, the other day, something about, you know, if you're working on DNI, but you don't have uh, the ear of the CEO and you don't have uh, budgetary control, then you're just talking, right? Look, yeah, we saw it with Uber. We see it every single day. You get these positions that get created that have these titles no one's ever heard of, and they don't actually have any P&L responsibility, and they don't report up to the CEO, which to me just means it's window dressing. And I think that that's one of the telltale signs for those of us that are consumers, for those of us that are voting with our wallets. 
if you see signs of real progress, then they better be connected to money and they better have, like you said, the ear of the CEO. Otherwise, as I said before, and as you said, it's really tokenism. Yeah, absolutely. Natalie, always, always great to get your insight. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing and for spending some time with us uh, on the show today. It is the Dana Barrett Show. It is Women on Wednesday. We've got another great Women on Wednesday interview coming up next. We'll be right back. Uh, It is Women on Wednesday on the Dana Barrett Show. And uh, joining me in the studio right now is Jennifer Morgan. She is the founder of Eleanor's Place, which, by the way, is a great name. Thank you very much. Uh, And it is a co-working space specifically for women. Yes. All right. And so we're going to get into sort of the whole co-working world and also Mm -hmm. why just for women in just a second. But before we do that, Jennifer, um, talk to me a little bit about your background. Well, I was a journalist for about 10 years right out of college, worked for CNN and NBC News, and then decided with my husband to be a stay-at-home mom. And I had four kiddos and had a lot of busy work with them, and it was incredible and hard, and I found myself needing a place to go to get things done. So I literally would pull up to like Cactus Car Wash on Piedmont Road with my big duffel bag and say, you know, I'm going to need an hour here, people. So, so take your time. Take your time. Car. Yeah, yeah. And um, and that's sort of where the idea just started brewing in my head that I knew I wasn't alone because there's so much to get done and I needed a place to go to do it. Yeah, well, obviously, co-working spaces have uh, bubbled up, you know, as, as a hot thing in the last, I don't even know how many years now, but what, five, six, yeah, seven I'd years? Say five or six years. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, we are seeing all kinds of different opportunities in that world and the different kinds of co working spaces, some that have um, services specifically for startups, uh, some that call themselves incubators more than co working, um, some that are sort of with a coffee bar inside that are sort of Starbucks esque, yep. yep. you know, sort of taking that, what do they call it, third place? Yeah, to a different exactly right, yeah. and so and I think now you're not the only one. I think there are around the country. I think starting to be some more places for women, which is great. I love it. Yeah, but so tell me from your perspective, because you know you're talking about yourself as a mom and needing a space. But why do you want? Why did you want to create a space just for women? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The first was I did tour many co-working spaces in Atlanta, and there's some fabulous ones out there. Yeah. Um, For starters, I felt old. (laughs) They were very, and this is not a bad word, they were very millennial with, you know, up-to-date technology and the clear walls and the foosball tables and the beer taps. And it just wasn't what I was feeling. You weren't, you weren't like, this is me. It wasn't me. And, you know, I'm not starting a tech company or anything like that. So I kept looking and kept looking and I really wanted a place that was comfortable and sophisticated and quiet. And as I was sort of forming it in my head, I said to my husband, who was helping me through this process, and by the way, I don't want any men in there. I want these women to feel comfortable. I want them to feel like they can relax and create a community where they can speak freely and openly. And we're going to have events for just women in there. And I want them to feel like this is their place. I mean, I have to say, and I do want to continue talking about this from a female perspective, Um, Jennifer Morgan uh, on the show with us right now, founder of Eleanor's Place. And they're kind of brand new, right? You've had your soft opening, but you're about to have yes. your, your big grand opening. Our big launches next week. There so we are just getting our sea legs. Yeah. yeah. And tell people the location, too, because I don't want to leave it's, that out. Yeah, thank you. It's on the corner of Northside Parkway and West Paces Ferry. There's a Houston's and a new 360 Whole Foods. So we're located there right off of 75. Yeah, great spot. Yes. Um, <laughs> but but before we go back to sort of the woman piece, I, I want to talk about the age piece a 
little bit because I feel like <laughs> I feel you on yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I do walk into a lot of these um, co-working spaces to meet with people and whatever else. And I'm I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin. I can tell you are, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I, I definitely feel like these are younger places. Not all not everybody, but no, majority, not everyone. But I definitely felt a little bit like a fish out of water. And so I really wanted to create an environment that felt sophisticated and comfortable, like I said earlier. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so we don't have foosball tables and we don't have beer kegs, if that's what you're looking for. But we have amazing Italian coffee and green juices and waters and <laughs> yummy snacks that include chocolate and all kinds of great stuff. But yeah, I really curated it specifically with women like myself, younger and older, in mind. So for people who haven't really um, been drawn to the co-working world yet, maybe Mm -hmm. because they've looked around and felt like it wasn't their place, What's the model? Is it a is it a month to month kind of thing? Is it membership based? How do you um, work with people? Well, and we played with a lot of different models, but I really wanted it to feel like a community and a club in the sense that you join for a year and it is your place. And we, um, you know, like I said, we offer the the amenities and the education, et cetera. But these women that have joined already are coming in and they feel like it is their spot to sort of unwind. And so I'm getting suggestions from them. They're pitching ideas about the kind of education they want to have, and they're really feeling some ownership in it. And that was really important to me. So that's why I didn't go with the month to month, um, which may dissuade some people, but I wanted to feel like you've committed to this and this is yours. This is your place to come and get things done. And is it the kind of thing, like one of the downsides, of course, of Starbucks, right, is that it can get noisy and, mm-hmm, you, you know, you may or may not get a table and you may or may not get a table next to a, an outlet um, yep, or whatever yep. the case may be. So is this set up so that people have separate offices? Is everybody in, in one big room? How does that well, work? Well, we have a lot of options. It In the front area, it's definitely a more social area. We have, you know, a great big banquet where you can bring your salad and your girlfriend and sit and have lunch. And we have little signs that say, you know, you can use your phone in here, but don't be a jerk. Just be courteous. And I then, mean, you know what, <laughs> Jennifer, that is just a good rule for life. Yeah, like, just it don't really be a jerk. is. Like, just be nice. Yeah. My gosh. And then <laughs> as you move further back, I modeled it sort of after a library. I love the New York Public Library. So we have a long library table with many, many plugs and hooks for your bags and your purses and your coats. And we have no cell phones in there. We do have a phone booth. So if you need to make a call. And then as you go further back, we actually do have private little cubicles, little tiny rooms that are comfortable and pretty, but that you can rent if you really need to shut the door, get it done, don't want to chit-chat, or need to make some phone calls and need a little bit of privacy. And we have a boardroom if you want to have a meeting. And we even have, I call it the Coco Chanel Room. All of my rooms, by the way, are named after women in history. Cool. Um, and the Chanel Room is a resting room. So we have a sound machine and we have a diffuser. So if you need to just cry or watch Netflix or pump or just recover from a big night, that's your space. Okay. <laughs> I'm now sold. That's all I needed. Sound machine and that a That is resting, a popular room. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm, I'm down with that. I like that. I feel like every company should have one of those. Yes. Yes. Um, Naps are the thing. And the beautiful thing about that in a co-working space, unlike at Google, you know, when they did the nap pods and yeah. no one used them, is it like yeah. there's no one there to judge you? Yeah, exactly. And there's no window on the door. Just shut the door. Nobody knows what you're doing. Right. And your boss... You know, you don't have one probably you don't if you're have in a one. co-working space, yes, so you're good yes, to go. Naps, yes. naps it is. Naps for everyone. Yeah. I'm an advocate. Um, all right. So, look, you're just getting started. As mm-hmm. you mentioned, uh, sort of the big launch is what? Did you say next week? Yes. It's wow. next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. That's exciting. I know. I'm very excited. What are you looking for in terms of uh, numbers of people? 
I mean, I want, that's a delicate question because I want it to feel like a community. So I want women there to meet one another and have a wide exposure of women working, non-working. But I would say in the 200, 250. Okay. And then we'll see where we are. Is it comfortable? Is it too loud? Can you find a seat? Um, but that's that would right, be a great target for it's us. It's like a gym in the sense that you don't really know what time people and how Absolutely. often people are going to come in. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that yeah. goes for you because that's always the, a bit of the unknown, right? Uh, yeah, it's a little scary and exciting at the yeah. same time. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, you're trying to work out your, your model with how much to charge and how many people, and then you don't really know how often they're going to come Absolutely. and be in the room. Absolutely, but if I ruin the experience for the women that have joined, I haven't done my job. Yeah. So I... So you have to keep close tabs on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And is, okay, this is really putting it out there since you're just in week one, but is (laughs) is the future more of these or, uh, I mean, I know that we're like, you're just in the beginning. I love that. Yeah, of course. I mean, we actually got an email this week from someone in Savannah that said that they would love to franchise. And I said, whoa, let's just take it one day at a time. But I mean, I have friends all over the Southeast and I think it would be really special to be able to offer this to them. What a cool, cool thing. Well, congratulations, Thank Jennifer. You. It sounds Thank like you. a really great place. I Please know it's, <laughs> it's in a great location. Yeah. Uh, and I know there's a lot of other women-owned businesses even in that um, in that oh, center where you I are. I love my block. Five in a row, all women-owned businesses. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. So that's a beautiful yeah. thing, too. Well, congratulations Thank to you. you. Good luck with the launch next week. Uh, again, that was Jennifer Morgan. It's Eleanor's Place. That's the name of her space. We'll post a link to all things Jennifer and all things Eleanor's Place on our show notes page at DanaBarrett.com. It is Women on Wednesday. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back. Now back to the Dana Barrett Show here on WGST. So we have, of course, been focused quite a bit on campaign 2020, um, but we have been focused on it uh, on the show predominantly at the presidential level. That said, there is a lot going on here in Georgia as well, and there's big news coming in today. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But first, I do want to say, uh, if you've been a fan of the show, um, we've been here on WGST for, uh, I guess it's about a year and a half now, something like that. And um, before that, of course, we were on for many years at another station. And so I know we have some listeners and fans that have followed us and some that watch on Facebook and all of that. And so if you haven't caught this already, I've been mentioning it a little bit at the end of the show, but if you're a a first hour listener, our show is ending on Friday and uh, there will be some changes here on the station. And I don't even know what they are. I'm sure they will they will all be evident on Monday. Um, but we'll be leaving. And uh, part of the reason I am tying that into a political uh, story uh, is that I am officially exploring uh, running for Congress. So that is something that, um, you know, I'll make a final decision and we'll have an announcement on that coming up. Um, no later than I would say the end of September, early October. So if you uh, are interested in uh, staying in touch with us, Nick and I, who will still be working together, um, go to uh, my uh, webpage, which is DanaBarrett.com and sign up for the email list or just go to my social media and make sure you're following me because we'll post, uh, you know, our announcements on all of those places. So uh, I'm very excited about the potential there. And, uh, you know, I think there's, um, you know, going to be it's going to be a really interesting couple of years for Georgia. And there's been a lot of change in our state. uh, And it just got more interesting today because Johnny Isaacson is now saying he will resign his Senate seat at the end of the year. He uh, is citing health reasons. I think it was uh, probably really difficult for him to make that decision. He was really uh, wanting to, you know, be here throughout his entire a term, but he'll be leaving his term early. 
And uh, he has uh, already informed uh, the governor about that, who will get to, uh, I think, just handpick somebody to put in his spot. Correct, Nick? Is that right? Yeah, there gets to be an appointee until um, the next general election that would be held, which is next year. So, right. So in 2020, we'll have two Senate races in this state, which is, wow. And uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, movement in the state of people who are in this political game and want uh, to try to go for one of those seats, which could potentially open up some congressional seats, depending on who gets the nod from Governor Kemp and then who throws their hat in the ring for primaries. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting. Now, we do know on the Democratic side that Stacey Abrams long ago said she's not running for Senate. Uh, we still don't know really what she is going to do beyond uh, what she's doing right now. But at, at least as far as we last heard from her, she won't be running for Senate. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of other names, uh, certainly both being considered by Governor Kemp as the appointee and then also who are thinking about uh, running for Purdue seat, who now may say, well, OK, there's two seats. You know, there's two options here. Always interesting to see if the party, um, the parties, I guess, in this case, will um, sort of come together and sort of work together on putting the right people up in the right for the right seats. I, I don't know. But um, anyway, it is going to be really, really interesting to watch from a political perspective and really, really interesting for the future of this state, because, you know, we did see the sixth district flip blue in the last election. We saw the seventh district uh, in Georgia come very close within, you know, less than a thousand votes away. I think it was only 400 something or 600 something or whatever it was uh, that the uh, seat went red in in the Gwinnett County area. So we're going to have a very heavily uh, watched race there in the 7th district. Um, and there's already a lot of people in that primary, uh, I believe on both sides on that one, because the uh, Republican, I think, chose not to re- run, I think is what happened. Uh, and, you know, the sixth, again, is going to be uh, one that the Republicans are really going to try to get back. They've got a, a full, um, you know, primary on that side. So it's just going to be a really, really fascinating year uh, here in the state and uh, or two years, I guess, the rest of this year and next. So a year and a half. There you go. <laughs> Um, But anyway, I I do think it's going to be really, really interesting. And um, it's been really interesting for me trying to do some research and learn uh, about what it even takes to run as I think about making this decision for myself. Uh, And to that end, in addition to uh, the Bizography podcast that Nick and I launched with the iHeart Podcast Network, uh, I want to say it's already getting on a month and a half ago, something like that, maybe more, two months ago. Um, we are also uh, preparing another podcast uh, about running for office, nonpartisan, just about the process of running for office. Uh, we're not sure exactly when we're going to launch that, but it's already uh, in production. So we're working on that, and uh, we want you all to tune into that as well. So we've got a lot going on. Uh, the state of Georgia has a lot going on. My brain has a lot going on. There's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff happening, and um, and thank goodness my good buddy Nick is along for the ride. So there you go. Uh, that is our hour one. We've got an incredible hour two lined up for you, so do not go away. It's Women on Wednesday on the Dana Barrett Show. It is Women on Wednesday. It is the Dana Barrett Show, and I always love having brilliant women entrepreneurs in the room with me so I can, you know, I hope some of it rubs off on me is all I'm saying. Uh, To that end, we've got Lydia Winkler in here right now. She is co-founder and COO of Rent Check. Um, That does not, that's a, that's a, you have to pause when you say rent check to get the T and the CH in, you know? 
Um, why did I start with that? I don't know. <laughs> Lydia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dana. I, I'm in a, I'm in that kind of mood today. I don't know why. You're going to have to live with it. Um, so listen, I, I totally get what it is you guys are doing, and I want to talk about the company. But before we do that, I do want to talk a little bit about your background. So just tell me a little bit about sort of your background and how you you know, found yourself in this entrepreneurial world. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I used to work for a startup called Whistle that makes GPS products for pets. Loved it. Interesting. Um, very different, but yeah. then ultimately decided I wanted to go to graduate school. And I used to live in the Bay Area, so I moved from San Francisco to New Orleans. Just seemed like, oh, that seems like a fun place to live. Uh, and after my first year of law school, I went to law school and business school there. After my first year of law school, came time to move. 30 days came and went, and I never got my security deposit back. And I was frustrated, but I thought, you know, why am I going to law school if I can't help myself? And I decided it would be an injustice to my legal education not to pursue it. So I represented myself and sued my landlord in small claims court. I submitted time-stamped photos into evidence that showed the move-out condition of my apartment, and I won the judgment, but it took well over a year and a half for me to recover those funds that wow. were wrongly withheld. And and I realized, you know, although it, although it all worked out for me in the end, I mean, it took a lot of my time, but this is not a comprehensive solution for the masses when you think about how 30% of all renters will have a dispute with their landlord in their renter lifetime, and 45% uh, will lose some or all their security deposit. So then... A year later, I'm in business school orientation at Tulane, and I meet my business partner, my co-founder, Marco, who's a landlord, has properties in-state and out-of-state, been a landlord for 10 years, um, and he faced the same problem on the landlord side. He's also an app developer. So we put our heads together, um, and all during business school started working on RentCheck, and what we are... What we are is a platform that guides renters, landlords, and property managers through move-in and move-out inspections to add transparency to security deposit deductions uh, with the hope of helping property managers attract great residents by unifying everyone at the beginning of a lease agreement. So the property manager in this scenario has to be on the platform. Like A tenant can't come along and say, I want to use RentCheck and... I'm going to just use it. It has to be the property that's already a subscriber, essentially. No, we. I mean, we have renters using it every single day on their own, but okay. it works best if when both. the when it's both together. Um, and the way it works is you you're prompted. You enter in the property details, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms. It guides you through exactly how to do a move-in inspection on your mobile device. Once the inspection is complete, you can share it with anyone. You can't go back and edit an inspection. So this way, if you do have to go to small claims court, you could submit it into evidence because we're an arbitrary third party. There's that law background. That makes, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because I think a lot of th this situation that you're describing, that move in and move out and the inspection process, it, it's certainly not the only process like this in the world in which I think consumers and probably landlords too, but I'll just talk about it from a consumer perspective, just feel like they're going to get screwed no matter what. And they just have to like hope they get the least amount screwed. You know, it just sort of feels that way. Um, so I love that you're tackling that and that you're tackling it even from a legal perspective, because it's one thing to offer a tool that's helpful. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to offer a tool that's helpful and can be used as evidence in court. We think so, too. I mean, and the other thing is and the value add for for landlords and property managers is is we want to incentivize tenants to take better care of their property. And so we have. We encourage them to have the renter do the move-in and move-out inspection because this way the renter knows this is what it must look like when I move out for me to get my full security deposit back. Yeah. Because most residents go into a lease agreement thinking 
they won't ever get the deposit back. Right. They just assume it's going to go down the drain. And we think if we just add transparency and accountability on both sides, this way everyone starts off on the right foot. Well, I also like the fact that you're sort of suggesting, and I think rightfully so, that if you if there is protection in place for both sides, you're going to get better tenants, too. It's not just an advantage for the tenant to not get screwed, as I was describing, but also for the landlord to get good tenants in there who will... Um, follow along and do what is needed in the place. And so, yeah, I think it's really fascinating. I was saying before we came on the air that I'm on, I've been on both sides. Like I have been renting for a long time. I just recently bought, but for 10 years I was renting. And I'm also a property manager because I manage my father's building in another city. And I've been through it, you know, getting screwed as a landlord from a tenant who just left a mess and disappeared. So, um, you know, I do think there's obviously a need. It's so interesting too, though, because I feel like Okay. You had a moment there where you decided to tackle a problem that most people just sort of shrug off and accept as reality. Uh, have you come across that in startup world with a lot of founders? Because I feel like th- you, you did not pick low-hanging fruit. I guess that's what I'm saying after a year and a half in court. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think I've, I'm a very de- – I, I won't quit. I've always been someone who just doesn't quit, and I, you know – seek justice and and a lot of other aspects of my life. I love it. Um, I love that you also called it your origin story because now you do really sound like a superhero. I'm digging (laughs) it. Uh, Lydia Winkler, superhero and co-founder and COO of RentCheck. I love it. So listen, um, how far along are you guys with the project? Exactly. So, um, well, we've been live for about a year now. We have users in all 50 states, in several countries, um, and we are growing every single day. How big is the company? We are five people. That's amazing. So how are you handling sales? Is it all online, just sort of reaching out to people? Are you calling on buildings? How are you getting people to know you exist? I mean, of course, on my show now, everybody will know. But I hope so. Get RunCheck.com if you're listening. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I, I mean, in all honesty, it's a lot of word of mouth. People are finding us by searching for inspection, rental checklist, inspection app in both the App Store, which is a terrible way to find products, and then also um on Google AdWords. Yeah. Uh, and I'm doing some reach out to property managers um, across the country, but it's, it's, and now we're, we're slowly, you know, kicking it into high gear in terms of sales, but we've been, we're a product focused company. We've always been product first. We want to make sure we're delivering the best experience to our users um, on both sides for renters and landlords. What's the, the business model, um, Lydia, for do the property management Teams pay? Yes. So they pay a dollar per unit per month. Okay. And that seems you, fair. Which, when you think about it, I mean, I just talked to a property management company in Ohio the other day. Um, they charge f- around, they're paying for the labor. So $40 an hour for someone to go do an inspection. It's about two hours to do move in, move out inspection. Right. So that's roughly, you know, they're saving around, call it eighty bucks, $63 a year. There you go. It's $12. What we charge is a dollar per unit per month. That's $12 a unit. Per year annually, they're they're saving sixty three dollars per unit per month, right? And also, that's assuming that a tenant doesn't move out after six months, right? I mean, that's assuming you only have a turnover once a year, and that's not always the case. So, yeah, that could be even more savings. So they're seeing the value, obviously. And to your point, that they don't have to do the inspection because it can be done with the phone with the mm-hmm. app. Right? Yeah, and I mean, not only do they not have to do the inspection, but because the residents are doing the inspection the property is going to be left in better condition because they're incentivized because they want their security deposit back. Yeah. Okay. It all makes sense. And so if all 50 states are ready, a year in in existence, do you also sort of want renters to sort of find you and then go to their property managers and say, hey, you guys should be using this? Does that happen? Yeah, that's our 
that's, I mean, my favorite lead generation when uh, renters download our app, use it, and then they share it with their landlord. And yeah. Then they, and then it's just a cycle from there. Um, just bringing those two groups together where there's typically friction. And that's and that's what we're all about is there's typically friction between these two parties and there shouldn't be. Um, yeah, there really always is. I'm just like, I feel that so much. I feel like this is one of those, there's certain, like I said, I feel like there's certain problems that we all just sort of accept and I think for many, many, many years, this has been one of them, except for really dogged people like you who went to court for and spent all that time. But I think for a lot of people, there's that. I've, I don't know why today I'm all about the shrug emoticon, but like I feel like that's what most people are like, oh, well, you know, and I guess I just have to live with it. I'm not getting my deposit back. So uh, I think it's fascinating. Um, and I love the legal aspect. And so for you, do you see other projects that tie that part of your background, the legal perspective and sort of the business perspective together? Is this just the first of many? Uh, possibly. I mean, <laughs> inspections are the first step towards our, you know, a much larger company vision of becoming one-stop shop for all things rent, whether it's, lease, it. you know, importing, making sure there's lease agreements that are available to landlords and just teaching landlords, property managers, how to be the best landlords, property managers, so they can attract the best renters. I love it. Very, very cool. Well, I'll be keeping an eye on, on you because I've obviously uh, got a property I have to worry about. So... Lydia, so. thank you so much. Congratulations on all things Rent Check. Very, very cool idea. Uh, a very cool company. We'll post a link to it on our show notes page at DanaBarrett.com. We've got more show for you just a little bit, so don't go away. We'll be back. Flowers are beautiful, but they become even more so when carried by people who are committed to ending Alzheimer's. At the Alzheimer's Association Walk to End Alzheimer's, Hundreds of thousands carry different colored flowers, signifying their connections to the disease. And we walk so that one day, there will be a white flower for Alzheimer's first survivor. Join them Saturday, September 28th at the Battery at SunTrust Park. Register at alz.org walk. Did you know that there are over 400,000 children reported missing in the U.S. every year? That's over 1,000 a day. Hey guys, it's me, Dana Barrett, and while there is no magic pill to fix this heartbreaking tragedy, there is something you can do to help. Sign up for the Adam Program at adamprogram.com. Thanks to LexisNexis Risk Solutions and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the Adam Program helps get the right information into the right hands quickly using geotargeting so that the only people who get a missing child alert are those within a close enough range to be able to help. The Adam program sends out thousands of photo posters each day to police stations, airports, public places, and mobile devices within the designated search area for each case. But the program and the technology are only as strong as the number of people enrolled. So we need your help. Please sign up at adamprogram.com and ask your friends and family to do it too. That's adamprogram.com. Jim Niarcus here for Hammocks AC with a cool offer. Don't wait till next summer to replace your systems. Replace them this summer with an offer that is impossible to match. Invest in any heating or cooling system and get the second system for 50% off. That's right, 50% off. This offer from Hammocks AC will save you thousands and give you peace of mind for the next 10 years. Systems designed for your home, backed by a locally owned, family-run company, trusted for 30 years. HammocksAC.com. And now it's time for your Joy Veal Health Tip on The Dana Barrett Show. Want the truth about that diet you're on? It probably won't work. 95% of diets fail and most dieters end up gaining all the weight back and more. Hi, I'm Honey Burger, founder and CEO of Joy Veal. The reason is not your lack of willpower. 
It's the fact that you're trying to do it all at once. A better approach is to introduce changes gradually. By making no more than two or three changes every couple of weeks, you'll be able to integrate new habits into your daily life with much more ease. If you're trying and failing at diets, consider working with the Joyville Health Coach. We'll help you look and feel great, sleep better, and perform at your best. The Joyville team of trained and experienced health coaches can help you create sustainable lifestyle changes that help with weight management, stress, sleep, and digestion. For more information, call 1-866-JOYVEAL or visit www.joyveal.com. That's J-O-Y-V-I-A-L.com. Whether you hunt, compete, or just want to protect yourself, Big Woods Goods in Canton has everything you need. A huge selection of handguns, long guns, and shotguns from the names gun owners trust most. Smith & Wesson, Glock, Beretta, Sig Sauer, Colt, Remington, Winchester, Mossberg, and more. Archers, we've got you covered too with a complete selection of bows and crossbows by Hoyt, Bowtech, Prime, Raven, Elite, and more. Ready to practice? Big Woods Goods has spacious indoor and outdoor ranges, instructors, classes, and leagues for beginners through competition shooters. But there's still so much more at Big Woods Goods. Gunsmith and Bowtech services, gun rentals, safety classes, team building corporate events, and a big, big store full of accessories, ammunition, and clothing for every shooter. It's everything you need in one big location. Big Woods Goods in Canton. We make shooting fun. See us online at Big Woods Goods. That's bigwoodsgoods.com. Talk Radio 640 WGST. Everybody get up. Now back to the Dana Barrett Show here on WGST. All right. I feel like today was a uh, an interview-heavy day, so we didn't get to uh, some of the big stories. Um, we definitely talked about the important um, local story about uh, Senator Isaacson resigning. Uh, we were able to get that in last hour, but we did not talk about uh, Bill Barr and his holiday party. First of all, let me just start out by saying this. Attorney General Bill Barr is having a $30,000 holiday party. Now, this is like a private, this is not the attorney general party. This is the Bill Barr party. Like, this is a his own personal money. He's having a holiday party. Who does that for $30,000? Like, that's not in my world. I mean, I'm just saying, and the only reason I'm even pointing that aspect of the story out, because there's nothing illegal about having a massive Christmas party that costs a lot of money. Like, go for it, you know? Yeah, you enjoy that. But remember that whole, like, drain the swamp thing? Remember that? I don't know. I just feel like if you can afford a $30,000 Christmas party, you're kind of swampy. You know? Yeah. That's it, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, a salary Christmas party. Okay. That's a lot more than most people make in a year. All right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, the, it's like, okay. And again, like, I, I'm sure there are plenty of people that do those kind of things. Um, but then to add insult to injury, and of course, again, the dollar amount is not really the relevant part here. Except that he's going to spend that $30,000 on said holiday party at the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. Does that seem like an odd choice to you? Because it seems like an odd choice to me. Um, There are lots of other places in the city of Washington, D.C. to host an event. And it's August 28th. So I suspect that while many are booked for holiday parties already, because a lot of people start booking those a year in advance, there's probably a few other places that you could still um, book. Right? 
Instead of giving money to, you know, the company owned by, well, or your boss, the president of the United States of America. It just, just looks bad, man. It's Come a bad. On. Right. It's not illegal. Let me be 100% clear. There's no investigation that needs to be done here. It's not illegal. It's unethical, though. This is a guy, remember, who campaigned with an unsolicited 19-page letter who just loves Donald Trump and then has done his bidding, even though that is not the job of the attorney general ever since, and now is going to line his pockets with an extra 30000 Not that $30,000 means anything to Donald Trump because, you know, he just told us yesterday or the day before that he's losing 3 to $5 billion, um, just by being president and he doesn't care about money. However, it's still his business. He still owns it. And now, uh, you know, Attorney General Bill Barr will be tossing $30,000 at that business. Okay. I mean, I feel like enough said, right? Like, I feel like my point's made because if that doesn't disturb you, maybe you're sleeping. Is that, Are you is sleeping? that not the theme with this administration, though? Is that, well, it's technically not illegal. Oh, it is absolutely the theme. Like, you're right. It is technically not illegal, but, but there's sketchy no, and well, awful. Right. There's no law that says you have to turn over your uh, your tax returns. But still, everyone else has done it. That's the way we do things. There's no law that says you shouldn't talk trash uh, about, you know, America when you're the president and you're on foreign soil. There's no law. It's not illegal. It's just not done until now. I mean, these are not good things that he's doing. All right. In any case, we're almost out of time, but I also want to mention uh, another big story. Well, there's a couple. I guess I barely I don't have time to get into the whole Brexit, you know, Boris Johnson thing. But there's a whole big hot. I'll just say this about that. There's a whole big hot mess going on over there. uh, And there's a lot of screaming going on uh, about Boris Johnson's request and the Queen's subsequent granting of uh, essentially a delay of Parliament so that there will be far less time for Parliament to oppose his um, no-deal Brexit. That's the short version of that story. We'll post a link to it. And then there's also a a Trump border wall story. And uh, basically, the the president allegedly now is saying he wants his wall and he is willing to, uh, he he wants his people to make it happen, even if it's illegal, and then he will pardon them. That is the latest on the wall. Take money, take imminent domain, take the land you need to take. I don't care if it's illegal. Just get it done. We'll go to court and I got your back. I got your back. And if I have to pardon you, if there's something criminal, don't worry about it. I got you. Um, Hello? That goes beyond ethical problem. <laughs> Just saying, if it's true, and this was in a story in the Washington Post. So if you hate the Washington Post and you believe it's all Jeff Bezos hate, you know, hating on Trump, then you're not going to buy this story. But I'll post it and you can take a read for yourself. On that note, we are officially out of time. It has been the Dana Barrett Show, and it will be again tomorrow. See you then. Follow Dana on Facebook and Twitter at The Dana Barrett. And be sure to tune in to The Dana Barrett Show weekdays from noon to 2, right here on Talk Radio 640 WGST and streaming live on the iHeartRadio app.